Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hey, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for July 8, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. All right, big show tonight. We're going to have on the show here in about 20 minutes Florida author both of books and of articles um, or columns, Craig Pittman from the Tampa Tribune. He's also going to discuss uh, Oh Florida and possibly another book with us and some other Florida politics about 20 minutes into the podcast. But until then, we really almost have too much on the docket to begin to talk about. But since we're talking about dockets, let's talk about the Supreme Court. We knew last week there'd be a vacancy. Um, we discussed that with Kelly Macias last week. Uh, the vacancy has yet to be filled, but word is that 9 o'clock, I guess it's going to be a show on Monday night, um, there's going to be an announcement on who it will be. Uh, apparently there's three to four. I think I even heard a fifth person possibly mention that it's been narrowed down to. All of them are younger for Supreme Court justices. I know that's one thing that stood out. Um, that he is picking somebody that's going to serve long after his term, um, be it two years, hopefully, or or six. Um, But, you know, I'm sure everyone's expected to be conservative. Catherine, I know in your line of work, y'all look at the Supreme Court very closely. Uh, What have you been hearing, and what are your thoughts? Well, it's all bad. (laughs) I mean, I don't think there's anyone that on on his list that we're all going to be happy about. Um, I'm sure that we will challenge every single one of them as done from the left. Um, and, but, you know, we're sort of uh, caught without any real power. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if we get any pushback from any of the Republicans or if we get pushback from the legal community, if there's, you know, any concern about their abilities or uh, judicial um, outlook. So it's, it's, I think it's going to, I think it's going to be quick. I don't think that they're going to, I don't, Mitch McConnell's going to wait around. I don't think the president is going to wait around. I think it's going to go, you know, quick, quick, quick. Um, I think the only, I, I sort of feel like the only way we can the only fight we have is to call our senators and talk to them about um, sort of the one thing I've been thinking about is sort of uh, as far as some of the really hot button issues primarily I'm concerned about abortion and access to health care to use the argument that if we throw all those things back to the states, then we're going to have unequal um, access to 
healthcare across the country. So if you live in California, um, you probably won't have much trouble getting an abortion or getting access to healthcare or New York City or some of the other metropolitan uh, strong blue areas. But if you live in the South, forget it. Or even, you know, in the, in the center of the country. So I think that's the only argument that I have, I, I see is that we're setting it up for unequal access, but I don't think that's going to hold much water for our senators. Tim, what do you think? And that's been kind of the case of American history is um, inequality from state to state on different issues. Um, And a lot of that brings up a painful history. Um, Tim, I kind of want to back up and see if you know, has anybody found out why Justice Kennedy decided to, Resign at this time because he had to know what was coming. Yeah. Um, yeah, he shed well, light on it. Uh, you know, Gorsuch was a very good friend of his, and uh, they think that Trump picking Gorsuch sent a signal to Kennedy that it would be okay for him to go ahead and hang it up. Um, because he had you know, pick a, quote, responsible conservative to replace him, whatever that's supposed to mean. But that, I, I think that's what was going on there. Kennedy's 82 years old also, and out of all the Supreme Court justices the country's ever had, well over 100 of them, he, he's like number 14 in seniority now um, the, uh, among the longest-serving ones. Um, so you know he he was ready to go anyway, but I I, I think I think he he feels pretty comfortable with this, and uh, although the four people's names that are out there, uh, none of none of them are going to be a swing vote. I can tell you that. Now we're going from a five four swing vote setup to a five four conservative majority. Now that that that's what's about to happen, and. On, on on a lot of issues, and, and there's a whole slew of them. We're 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 going to lose a lot of votes now. Well, yep. pr- practically all the votes. So that that's just the way it's going to be, and the court's going to be defined by none other than Donald Trump for the next ten to fifteen years. Uh, there's nothing good yeah, to say about it, and no way to stop it. Yeah, it's um the the fact that. He has picked people so young, and if they're in there, I don't think is anybody even really over fifty or much over fifty. If they yeah, three of them are over fifty. Three of them are over fifty, and one the woman is forty six, and the uh, men are all like fifty two and fifty three years old, right yeah. along in there. They would be if they serve as long as he did. That would be or as yeah, late be in that life as he years. did. That'd be thirty years, and thirty years is just yeah. A, that's a long, long time. Um, yeah. And so, and obviously, you know, there are more justices. Um, one thing I got to thinking about, and this kind of gets into more of my history background, is back in the 30s, the Supreme Court had kind of, you know, shot it down a lot that um, Franklin Roosevelt wanted. If, you know, people say, hey, well, particularly, not this pick as much as Neil Gorsuch, um, where he... Um, was picked, and I think a lot of Democrats and even a lot of independents may say, 
that that was not following the rules. That even Republicans, if you had Wonder Woman's Truth Lasso, would admit that that was not following the rules. If we have a Supreme Court where, let's say, Democrats actually take over all branches of government in the coming period of time um, and everything gets shot down by the Supreme Court, could we see a situation where a president might decide to, to try to repropose what Franklin Roosevelt did and say, hey, we need 11 members just because this Supreme Court was not uh, – some of the members were put on when the will of the people was not being followed. Um, Catherine, could you see something like that come into being given what uh, could happen where the Supreme Court is the veto over the presidency and the Congress? That's going to take a really strong president and a really strong, uh, you know, support from Congress to, uh, to, uh, you know, fulfill. I, I, I mean, I don't see anybody on the horizon that's going to be that, um, uh, what's the word that disciplined and, and willing to uh, make that argument, but but I could be wrong. I'm often wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you don't get on the dime by being meek. Mm-hmm. They don't build memorials in DC mm-hmm. to you by being meek. Um, Tim, I'm gonna ask you a, a different. What well, do you want to respond to that first? Your thoughts? Yes, I do. It, you know, Roosevelt tried this in 1937. Uh, fresh off of a re-election victory in which he won every state except uh, Maine and Vermont. Uh, uh, and it blew up right in his face. It, it, it was something that he just simply should not have done. And I, I would I would be very much against any president trying to, to pack the court, although I wouldn't be surprised uh, this one trying it if, if if he got the opportunity, uh, but I, I would I would be totally opposed. I, I I don't see how it could be done. Okay, so Roosevelt lost Vermont. Uh, for our listeners, Bernie Sanders might have been alive, but no, he was not serving back then. He wasn't the one that um you know defeated Roosevelt <laughs> in Vermont. Um, but here's another question. Um, okay, if, if some of these issues, like one that's brought up is um, you know, gay rights. And if you look at gay marriage, you have overwhelming majorities supporting it now. It's supported more and more states that are considered red states, states that actually have, you know, bans from say two thousand two on the ba- on the books, if you will, that people now have changed their mind. And you can kind of see that it looks like that's gonna get more so and more so to where people don't oppose it. Let's say somebody brings up a court case, but they've come out with poll after poll that say 70% have no problem whatsoever with gay marriage and 20 oppose it and then 10 are undecided. Somewhere in that, maybe not 10 would be too high, but you, you, you get what I'm saying, an overwhelming majority. Would some of these conservative justices go that much against the will of the people? I know they're supposed to look at the Constitution, but I would argue that the Constitution is not a document that probably predicted uh, gay marriage back in 1770s. Um, I'm sorry, the 18, early 1800s. I'm confusing the Declaration of Independence. Do you think that issue and maybe other issues like that where the majority of the people is so different than that conservative court, could that influence that court? 
Um, I hope not, because that's not the way the court's supposed to work. I mean, obviously, in the scenario that you present, it it it, it satisfies my uh, goals, but I'm not sure that we want our court to be um, looking at polls and uh, I mean, there's a lot of decisions that would have gone the other way over the years if we if that was the deciding um, factor in their decisions. So, um, I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine a scenario where I think that would be a good thing. Um, do I think it could happen? I, I, I'm not sure. I think that one of the, you know, one of the strengths of the Supreme Court and also one of the things that is frustrating for us is that they're not running. It's not like they have, um, constituents that they have to satisfy in order to keep their job. Uh, so I'm not sure that that would be such a influential um, piece of uh, information for them. Tim, what do you think? Well, and, and I want to frame I'll it a say, little more for Tim. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, isn't that what basically happened with civil rights? Brown versus Board of Education, this is after World War II. African-Americans had served more or so alongside um, white Americans, and you had Joe Lewis had become a national hero, more accepted, um, and, and people's attitudes changed. And so I'm not so sure that the attitude of Americans doesn't have an influence. Tim, respond. Well, a couple of years ago, uh, Kennedy, of all people, wrote the decision for the majority which, you know, basically stated that gay marriage was constitutional uh, nationally. Uh, I think that same-sex marriage would be the last one of the major things that have happened in the last few years to be overturned. But what they could do is they could uh, simply say, yeah, you got a right to the license, but what about all their other little rights like uh, benefits, you know, for same-sex partners? That could be ruled unconstitutional. Uh, they could all be kicked out of the military. They could start uh, banning them from this job and that job. That sort of thing could happen. Um, and throwing it all back to the states the, also. Yeah, the the same thing is going to happen to Roe v. Wade. You know, yeah. it's going to be it's not going to be a direct challenge to the law itself. It's going to be death by a thousand cuts, cut a little bit here, cut a little bit there. Say this is not right. Say that isn't right. And finally, the thing just collapses. That, that's the way they want to do it. If they're smart, that's the way they will do it. Uh, we should be more worried about things like the Wagner Act because the Supreme Court has just issued a, an invitation for ch somebody to challenge it. And if the Wagner Act is overturned, uh, we're, we're talking about the death of labor unions in this country. So they could go all the way back to the New Deal guys uh, with some of this stuff because they are going to have the people now to – on the court to do it 
Um, affirmative action is another one that that, yeah. that it best look out. The Voting Rights Act is another one. Uh, things like solitary confinement in the prison system has been a big issue. Well, guess what? It's going to be okay now for any length of time. Um, uh, they, I imagine that capital punishment, they'll reject any challenges to that now. Uh, I mean, yeah. and, you know, and I use an issue. Like things that the consequences. Yeah. What's that? I think there's a. a I, th- I use that issue. I think the inertia is completely one way. That's moving fast. Some of the other issues could still be, you know, fifty-five, forty-five type issues that should could vacillate. I just don't see. I don't see that the American public, you know, flipping the other way on that. You know, going back to say. But, but what I'm saying is they won't just make a direct challenge to these major things. They'll 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 cut a little bit here, slice a little bit there. That's the sort of thing that'll happen. Um, yeah, and, 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 it, and, and it'll sneak up on the American people. Exactly. Well, and one of the biggies is going to be the Affordable Health Care Act. It's getting more and more popular. Democrats are now running on it, not running away from it. it. Republicans aren't running ads against it. And so it's getting more and more popular, too. Um, and, and therefore, and, and that can get taken gone. away. And, and, and what's going to happen there? I mean, the Supreme Court could be like, you know, when, when back in around 2005 or so, uh, Republicans were going to privatize Social Security. To me, that was maybe the number one thing that brought about 2006 uh, with that huge Democratic year because people revolted against that. People can't revolt against the Supreme Court. Um, And if it's a long-term situation, then bill after bill could get passed. I mean, Democrats could pass single-payer health care, and then the Supreme Court could knock it down. Uh, Using a document that could not have predicted um, health care costs where they are today. I mean, back in that day, you just paid your health care bill out of your pocket to the doctor you went to for whatever ailment might be. There, there was no complicated health care system that, you know, cost, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in today's dollars um, for some procedures. With a little bit of time we got, and we, we don't have a lot, we, I want to talk a little bit about that Montana rally. That thing was all over the place. He attacked George W. H. Bush, H. W. Bush. He, um, you know, said, had some uh, jabs at John McCain, called Angela Merkel another world leader by her first name, uh, continued to go after Elizabeth Warren, and also tried to delve into IQ scores. And again, reiterated that he didn't <laughs> respect the intelligence of Maxine Waters, and actually said that he feels that her IQ is in the 60s. Which, if you know anything about IQ ranges, um, that is what special education uses to find somebody to be intellectually disabled. Which means that you, you actually there's two things happening. One, he's making fun if he truly believes that, or knows anything about what he's saying he's making fun of an intellectually disabled person to be like making fun of people at a special olympics which that's not good but then two if that were the case and i have no doubt that maxine waters iq is much much higher 
than that range. That just shows what nonsense he's coming up with. But it would mean that she was an intellectually disabled person and was elected to the I'm sorry to the House of Representatives, which would be a major accomplishment that should be celebrated. That this person could do this, um, Catherine. Is this just show Donald Trump's naivete and then lack of understanding about what an IQ score is? Well, yeah, and it just shows that he's mean. <laughs> I mean, he's just a mean man, and 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 he's uh, he can't he can't bear for he, he he takes every opportunity to make jabs at people, however he feels he should. You know, he calls people stupid. He, I mean, it's just. But yes, it shows an, a, mis, a, a misunderstanding or a lack of understanding of what IQ scores mean. But it's also just downright mean. It's uh, he's evil, and and he's yeah. stupid himself. <laughs> yeah, and I don't. I'm not going to speculate on what his IQ score because if you know anything about it, one test to another, we could get you another score. And you don't just guess at those kind of things. There is a process. So it shows a lack of understanding on your part to even begin to go there. Well, let's go ahead and change gears, and we can come back to Montana later, but we want to go to a, a much sunnier, uh, more tropical environment, at least for the continental United States. Uh, the eastern coast is vacation land. And welcome in for Florida, Mr. Craig Pittman. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. Yeah, good for having you on. Um, I, I just want to set it up a little bit. I had recently listened to your book, Oh, Florida, found it fascinating, and, and your depth of knowledge and research of Florida was amazing. Um, so I want to talk about the book, but before we get into that, um, I just want to let you t uh, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your background and bio. Um, sure. Uh, well, I'm, an, I'm an, that rarity, an, a native Floridian, um, and so that means I am, of course, protected under the Endangered Species Act. Um, uh, um, I grew up in Pensacola, um, which some people refer to as the Redneck Riviera, uh, and uh, have uh, I went to college in Alabama, uh, where uh, an agitated dean referred to my work on the student paper as uh, uh, being the most destructive force on campus. And for some reason, I don't think he meant it as a compliment. Uh, and since then, I've, I've uh, worked at uh, several Florida newspapers. I've covered several different beats and a variety of natural disasters, including hurricanes, wildfires, and of course the Florida legislature. So um, uh, I'm currently covering uh, environmental issues in Florida, uh, which in, in Florida means I'm also covering the economy too, because the, the, the environment is the economy here. Uh, and I've written four books, and uh, one you mentioned is the most recent one, Oh Florida, How America's Weirdest State Influences the Rest of the Country. Yes, uh, well, I'm kind of with you. I'm a, I was born and raised in Metro Atlanta, uh, born in '71, mm -hmm. back before Atlanta had the explosive growth. And I know what you mean. Um, you meet more people that moved in than you than were born uh, way back when uh, in those areas. I guess that's kind of the whole Sun Belt. Um, it's all that way where everybody's moved in. Well, you mentioned that book. Um, I, like I said, I had listened to it. It had so many facets. Um, but it was really a great history. It wasn't just the, the Jimmy Kimmel segment, Florida and the News, or I think John Oliver did one about pets uh, coming into all your establishments uh, lately. Yes. But mm -hmm. kind of what gave you the idea to write the book? 
Well, um, I, I was, uh, uh, I tweet about, uh, different Florida news and whenever it was, whenever it was something wacky or crazy happening, I would always tag it as, Oh, Florida. And, uh, uh, somebody at slate contacted me and said, we'd like you to blog about Florida for a month. So I did. And, uh, uh, the hard part wasn't coming up with enough stuff for 30 days. The hard part was narrowing it down, <laughs> you know, so I, so I didn't <laughs> overrun it. Uh, and at, towards the end of it, the editor on that said, I really hope you turn this into a book. And so, uh, I did. So it's, it, you know, and it's gotten a really nice reception. Uh, pu- I had 15 publishers that turned it down, but then one finally said yes. And since then it's gotten good reviews from the New York times, the Los Angeles times, the Washington post. And it, uh, briefly made the New York times bestseller list. And it won a, uh, a gold medal from the Florida book award. So, you know, I, 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 I'm tempted to send a thank you note to all the people who turned it down because clearly it got to the right person. <laughs> Finally, yeah, it's kind of like I guess it's kind of like sports draft and marriage proposals. It just takes one yes uh, to put That's you in it. business. Um, That's it. Well, you had so many parts of it, but one I wanted to ask about is you had a whole fascinating chapter on Walt Disney World, and Walt Disney World begat uh, Universal Studios and begat Sea World and all these different things that are in Orlando, because my understanding, prior to Walt Disney World, Orlando was not a tourist destination. Um, no. But if Walt Disney never builds there, Orlando doesn't become what it becomes uh, tourism-wise, how big a chunk do you think that created out of uh, Florida's tourism economy? Oh, it, it it completely changed it. I mean, we were, we were uh, you know, we had a large agricultural uh, economy there for a while, and and tourism was a big business for us dating back to the 1920s. But uh, Disney deciding in 1963 that that's where he wanted to build his East Coast, uh, you know, theme park was just a huge, uh, momentous decision. And not just for Florida, uh, not just in terms of creating a you know helping our tourism industry, uh, but also that's what made the the I four corridor what it is today as far as politics, American politics. It's sort of like the Florida version of Dixville Notch, you know, the place where if you can win I-4, you win Florida, and if you win Florida, then you'll probably win, you know, whatever it is, what offer, whatever national office it is you're going for. So um, that's why during the uh, last election we saw presidential candidates popping up in Florida so often. It was like they were trying to get the, you know, the Florida resident discount at Disney World. They were here so often. <laughs> Uh, you know, because uh, they know how important that that I four quarter is, and it's it's really interesting because the demographics of that area have changed pretty radically since the last election because of Hurricane Maria. So we've had thousands and thousands of Puerto Rican refugees coming here from from the island because Hurricane Mar- uh, Maria we left it so devastated. And so, you know, in the meantime, we've also had a lot more retirees moving into. The, the big uh, retirement mecca of the villages, which is also kind of part of that I-4 corridor. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens, you know, come the next big election along that corridor. Well, bringing together uh, politics and the weather and tourism, now I think you could get the Democrats and Republicans to agree on one thing, is if they could um, take the Iowa caucus and just move it down to Florida, they could spend <laughs> all those winter months traveling around sunny Florida instead of cold um, I'm sure they would. Um, I'm sure they would greatly prefer that. <laughs> <laughs> well, one more question before I pass it on. I'm going to leave a lot of the political stuff for Catherine and Tim, my co-host. 
But um, just since you cover the environment, you cover tourism as a part of what you do in the state, uh, what's the beach in Florida or the, or the city with beaches that no one you know, knows as much about that was like the you know, most picturesque beach that's you know, kind of a hidden treasure? Uh, well, I'm not sure it's all that hidden. I mean, a, a lot of tourists know about it, but it's not the big name place, uh, you know, like uh, South Beach or something like that. Uh, I'm real partial to a place called Sanibel Captiva. It's a pair of islands that's near Fort Myers, uh, and they've got the greatest selection of, of seashells washing up there just because of the, the way the currents flow that uh, they actually, the locals refer to what they call the Sanibel Stoop, where, you know, tourists are picking up shells off the beach so often it's like they're doing this little dance move. Um, uh, and it's usually the beaches are not crowded at all, and it's just a gorgeous place to go, um, you know, kind of stretch out and relax. Um, and in fact, um, if you're familiar with uh, Charles Lindbergh's wife, Ann Mara Lindbergh, Gift from the Sea, and she wrote it while she was staying in Sanibel, uh, and talking about the seashells that she found and some of the life lessons she's learned. It's sort of this perpetual uh, inspirational book that a lot of people love to read, and uh, and it has that, you know, that Florida connection to it. Well, good deal. And, and follow-up question, they got a fishing pier down there? <laughs> you, you know, yeah. we, love fish, we love fishing in Florida. There's all kinds of places to fish. Uh, surf fishing is popular, where you actually fish right off the beach. Exactly. And, uh yeah, that's a that's a that's a cool thing to do. That was something I used to do a lot when I was a kid with my dad. We'd go out to the beach and and uh, cast into the surf and pull in all kinds of good stuff. So that we'd take home and eat. <laughs> so. Well, good deal. Well, Craig, I'm gonna pass it over to Catherine. I think she has another okay. book question and maybe some other stuff. And then Tim, I think, is gonna go heavy on Florida politics. Catherine, okay. Thanks so much for being on with us tonight. We really appreciate it. Oh, um, my it's pleasure. Nice to hear. Uh, you're a um, sane voice out of Florida. <laughs> I am. Don't get I don't get used to, to it. About, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just started reading your book, The Sense of Gandal. Oh yeah, and mm-hmm. um, it's absolutely fascinating. And Thank you. Um, I, I wonder if you. Um, I, I feel like you're kind of a combination of Diane Ackerman and Carl Hyacin <laughs> in this book. It's sort of like. Are you familiar with Diane Ackerman? Yes, yes, and I'm, I'm very flattered that you compared me to her. That's nice. <laughs> well, you, she's quite amazing, but but mm-hmm. it's it's really interesting to me, and I just wonder how um, – I, I didn't read, like, the prologue and everything. I wonder how you came to the um, story, and you might want to just briefly fill people in on what the story sure. is because it's very sure. interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a book about a, an actual orchid smuggling case that wound up involving – uh, Selby Botanical Garden in Sarasota, they wound up being the, the first scientific institution in America to be charged with wildlife smuggling because they got involved with a uh, the discovery of what everybody called the most spectacular orchid to be found in 100 years. And, uh, and before they were done, they were all tied up with a federal grand jury. It was an international incident. It was just crazy. I mean, it just kind of the whole thing kind of spun out of control. Um, and I always like to mention that The Sin of Scandal, I'm pretty sure, is the only book like this. It's, if you look on the back, it's actually classified as true crime slash gardening, 
<laughs> so yeah. I, always, I always feel bad for the bookstore clerks trying to figure out what shelf to put it on. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually what what made me um, curious about it. Was when I saw that reference, I thought, well, that sounds like something I would like. So, um, <laughs> but it's very it's very interesting uh, to our listeners. You might be interested, but so what prompted? Did you cover the story and then write the story? Write the book? Yeah, or uh, how did I that had, happen? I had I had written a profile story of a guy who's uh, uh, kind of a big deal in the orchid community uh, uh, here in Florida, and uh, he called me uh, not too long afterwards and said, "Listen, there's this big court case going on involving Selby Gardens where they're being investigated by a federal grand jury. You should write about that." So I went over and I thought, "This can't be as big as he thinks it is," and I went over and pulled all the <laughs> court files and went, "Holy cow! I can't believe it. This is incredible." And so, yeah, I, I wrote about it for the paper, and then when the case was over, I wrote a long piece for the uh, for a, a magazine in Sarasota, uh, and then figured, well, I've already done, gone this far. I might as well turn it into a book, uh, which it was interesting. All the all the orc, people in the orchid community, very, very helpful, very friendly towards me, wanted to talk about it, didn't necessarily agree with everybody else, very happy to trash everybody else in the orchid community, but they, a lot of them really passionate about uh, about what happened. Law enforcement community, not so much. I had one guy who was willing to talk to me. Everybody else kind of, you know, they were like, mm, we can't, no, we can't discuss that. It was almost like they were kind of embarrassed about, you know, pursuing these people over what turned out to be just one flower. But, you know, it was a, it was a big deal. That flower was selling on the black market for $10,000 a plant. Yeah, and, I mean, I think it's, you know, part of a bigger story about our environment and how we take advantage of it. I mean, I don't think yeah. it's. Um, I don't think it's anything to be embarrassed about. I think these are the kind of um, stories that, you know, these what seem to be small stories, bigger, much bigger issues in our culture, don't you? I mean, Absolutely. I think, you know, we take advantage of our environment in so many ways, and I think you've, uh, you know, covered that a lot in your writing. So, uh, I mean, it's a natural, seems like, it seems like a natural um, place to go and write the story that is uh-huh. more, um, interesting maybe than reading about, you know, what happens after an earthquake or what happens after a flood. This is more, uh, it's it's a smaller story, but it, it speaks to the bigger issues. So thank yeah. you for writing well, it. I'm, I'm really oh, sure. No, it. no, that's exactly what, what kind of attracted me to it is it was this bizarre, it's this bizarre story that you would never have expected something like this to happen. And uh, and trying to follow it, it never went the way I, I thought it would. So I was I was like that in a book. If you can't predict what's going to happen, so uh, this <laughs> one was fairly unpredictable. <laughs> Plus, I got there. Well, I, I hope you there were some really interesting. Garden, yeah. I hope you have another mystery gardening or crime gardening <laughs> book in your. Uh, in your... <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But I mean, I, you know, this one, um, uh, you know, and, and what's been nice is I've had people come up to me and say. I don't like orchids, but I love this book because I like mystery stories. And then conversely, I've had people who are into orchids who came up to me and said, thank you for presenting us as not looking like idiots, which I guess I feel like some <laughs> other orchid books do. <laughs> well, thank you for writing it. And I, like I said, I'm enjoying it. And now I'm going to pass Good. it to Tim, who has a lot of political questions for you. Thank okay. you. All right. Sure. Uh, good evening, Mr. Pittman. I got to ask you right off the bat. In the title of Old Florida, you referred to Florida as "quote America's weirdest state." Is politics in Florida part of that weirdness? Oh, good heavens, yes. In in uh, <laughs> there are a lot 
lots of historical <laughs> examples, but I'll give you a recent one. In 2016, in the, the race for uh, uh, Marco Rubio's Senate seat, where initially he wasn't going to run and then he decided he was, um, there mm-hmm. was a candidate who uh, uh, actually uh, bragged that he had sacrificed a goat and drank its blood. And uh, <laughs> when I asked him what the blood tasted like, he said, fame. <laughs> so, you know, take that for wow. what it's worth. I know. Now, he's a, he was a libertarian candidate. One of the Democratic candidates for that same position was a uh, former congressman who uh, had accused his own wife of committing bigamy. And her trial on that charge had to be postponed because one of her breast implants sprung a leak. <laughs> that, that is not a story you would read in any other state. I'm convinced. <laughs> My goodness. So. And I mean, you know, we've got we got still folks like this all up and down the line in in you know in Florida yeah. politics, Florida history. I mean, just you know, we had a congressman who who uh, abandoned his post in Washington and moved to Chicago to stalk a woman and give uh, speeches to his mirror. Uh, you know, we had, we had a we had a governor who campaigned with a pair of six guns on his hip because he said the Catholic Church was sending hitmen after him. I mean, it's you know, <laughs> one of our one of our and and he won. No, he won. Uh, another one of our governors, a guy named Fred Cohn, actually uh, shot a man for the crime of being a Republican. <laughs> so he, the man survived. He was the postmaster in, in White Springs. He survived, and Fred Cohn's. Uncle went over to him and tried to call, you know, calm him down. And say, listen, listen, it was, you know, just a big misunderstanding. Please don't press charges. So the, so the White Springs postmaster said, okay, I won't press charges. And then the uncle went and had him charged with concealing a crime. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's see if we can make something uh, reasonably sensible out of your governor's race while we're on. Good luck. The <laughs> Uh, Good luck. <laughs> uh, in, in, in a year, in a year wh- in which women are in record numbers around the country, yes. uh, Gwen Graham, mm-hmm. as you know, is the only woman in the governor's race down there. Right. And mm-hmm. now, at just like my state, you've never elected a female governor in your state's history. Is this going to be right. the year? I don't know. I mean, the big thing she's got going for her is is number well, two things. One is, as you mentioned, that that big groundswell uh, right now of female candidates, and they have some really good issues to run on right now. The other thing, of course, is her name recognition because her father was one of the most popular politicians in Florida history, Bob Graham, right. former two-term governor mm-hmm. as well as multiple terms in the U.S. Senate, and uh, and he's still active and he's still out there, you know, uh, banging the drum for her now. So uh, so those two things in com- combination may prove to help her a lot. Uh, now, I've also seen a lot of folks wearing uh, buttons and, and so forth for Philip Levine, the mayor of uh, Miami, who, who uh, mm-hmm. is Miami Beach, who's, who's been running also and is pretty well funded. Uh, the other two candidates don't have the money uh, and don't have the name recognition. One is Andrew Gillum, the mayor of Tallahassee, uh, who mm-hmm. – uh, is somewhat hindered in his campaign by the fact that the FBI is investigating the city council. So that's, that's kind of a problem for him. Uh, he's not, he's not the subject of the investigation, but he's, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's sticking to him a little bit. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just as far as his reputation. And then, uh, and then you have Chris King who is, you know, uh, just does not have the name recognition or the, or the funding. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, it, it may turn out to be a, uh, uh, you know, ultimately a race between uh, Graham and, and Levine, and we'll see what happens. 
And um, now moving over to your U.S. Senate race, and buddy, we really got to move there. But I have well, well, wait. Did, did you want to? Did you want to talk about the? Did you want to talk about the Republican side? Because that's interesting too on the governor's race. Oh yeah, throw throw them on yeah. me. Who's the favorite? Yeah, we got well. They they're both really interesting candidates. We got uh, we got Adam Putnam. Uh, who is mm-hmm. the current agriculture commissioner, former congressman, has been mm-hmm. in office since he was in his 20s uh, and is you know, definitely the fair-haired boy of, of Florida agriculture. The sugar industry supports him and all the other agriculture folks support him. Um, and, and he spent years lining up the organization to push for this. And then on the other side is uh, Ron DeSantis, the Florida congressman who um, – if people are familiar with his name, it's from seeing him on Fox News a lot, not from seeing him in yes. Florida. Uh, but uh, DeSantis, it, uh, um, how can I explain this? Putnam had, had for a long time had this real reputation as a moderate, but he has recently taken on the whole, um, you know, I'm I'm like a Tea Party guy. I'm you know, and he's pushing those issues, and you know, vying for the the Trump supporters. And then Trump, meanwhile, has has now tweeted endorsements of Ron DeSantis, who he knows from Fox News. So, you know, so we mm-hmm. have two guys, you know, pushing the, the Trump agenda and saying, I'm going to be like Trump uh, for governor. And it's it's led to some interesting situations. Uh, one of the peop- one of the industries that looks at, like it's going to get hurt by the new tariffs that Trump is pushing is indeed Florida's citrus industry, which has been beaten mm-hmm. up by a bunch of other factors. And Putnam has said, "I have no problem with the, with the tariffs." And you know, the citrus industry is like, "Wait, what? <laughs> we thought you were our guy." <laughs> so, um, and the other thing that has hurt uh, Putnam is he's he recently, not too long ago, labeled himself a you know a proud NRA supporter. He actually called himself a proud NRA sellout. And then we had the big uh, shooting at uh, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas right. High School. And so now a lot of right. people have really turned against uh, you know. Uh, being a strong NRA sellout, and that's really caused him some yeah. headaches as well. But, so. but, um, but how how much of a factor will a Trump endorsement be among Republican primary voters down there then? Um, well, I mean, you know, Trump won the state uh, by a very very razor thin margin, but he did win the state when mm-hmm. he ran. So, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's obviously a factor that they're both. Uh, bearing in mind and they're using it in their campaigning and, and uh, just, you know, finding a way that, so, so for them, finding a way to differentiate themselves has been kind of, kind of difficult, uh, especially since DeSantis can point at Putnam and call him a, you know, a career politician and, uh, and a, you know, a slave to big agriculture, big sugar. So mm-hmm. it's, it, you know, it, I just don't know which way it's going to go. Putnam's got most of the other endorsements you could possibly get, like majority of the Florida sheriffs have endorsed. Uh-huh. Sanders has the big one. You know, he's he's got the president's backing. Whether and in fact, uh, Sean Hannity came down to campaign for him, and uh, and Don Trump Jr. is coming down to campaign for him also. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to backtrack on something. I was okay. going to jump to the Senate race, but I believe I'm going yeah. to uh, let David handle that because I want to ask you one more question, and this is something sure. a little bit different. You okay. are a journalist. You Last you have check. spent a career in newspaper work. Uh-huh. As a journalist, what is your take on the, shall we say, unprecedented 
warfare being conducted now in this country against the mainstream news media? In my experience, when politicians are slamming the press, they're doing it because they have something to hide. They, they don't like the mm-hmm. stories that are coming out, and so instead of, a, instead of trying to respond to the facts, then they just say, oh, that's just you know, uh, a bias against my, you know, my platform. It's fake news. It's not something that's real. Meanwhile, though, look at the stories. Look at the stories that are coming out, and look at how many people have resigned, Scott Pruitt being the most mm-hmm. recent example, the EPA head. It, you got that many scandals. You got to figure this. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not making up the fire or the smoke that you're seeing. <laughs> there really is something there. Mm-hmm. But, but still, it, it's never been quite to this level, has it? The no, attack. no, it has not. And and you know, and then I'm not sure how big a factor it was, but the fact that a guy felt like it was okay to walk into a newsroom and kill five people. That gives you some pause, yes. you know, and yes. and uh, you, you know, I, I know every probably every newspaper in America has now tightened up security as a result because nobody ever thought something mm-hmm. like that would happen. We've all all every newspaper mm-hmm. room has had to deal with people who are a little off the beam who come in to tell you about their favorite conspiracy theory. I had a lady one time track me down at a, a bureau office I was in out in the uh, unincorporated area because she wanted to tell me all about how. You know, the CIA was tracking her, and she was throwing them off because she had wrapped her stomach in tinfoil. You know, that's <laughs> what he says. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, but, you know, you, you just don't expect anybody to come in with, with guns blazing like that. That's the America we got these days. Yes, sir. And with that, I'm going to pass it back over to David to talk about the Senate race or whatever else okay. he wants to talk about. Go ahead, David. Yeah, Craig, you have been most informative, and I know the time's running short, so I'm going to try to boil the Senate race down into the the thing that vexes me the most. Um, Okay. Florida is the most (laughs) uh, purple swing state there is to me in the union. Started in 2000 and has just kept up every single time. So you've got a multi-term incumbent, Bill Nelson, seems to be scandal-free from what I know, um, mm-hmm. And you would think in such a what looks like it's building to be a blue wave year that he would just take care of business in the polls. I mean, he would be winning by high single digits uh, in this race, and he's just not. They actually, have to, I've seen polls where he's losing. I've seen polls where it's a statistical dead heat. There has mm-hmm. been a poll or two that's shown him with a little bit of a lead. Why is yep. Bill Nelson, in your opinion, having so much trouble putting Rick Scott away? Um, I think that you got three things going here. One is Nelson has never faced an opponent like this before, and and he he hasn't faced an opponent under these kind of uh, social media driven circumstances. He has been fighting back. Scott's been running lots and lots of attack ads. In fact, I haven't seen Rick Scott run a single ad yet saying I'm I'm a great guy. Vote for me. He hasn't run any of those. Hey, look at my look at my great record as governor. Instead, every single ad he has run has been Bill Nelson's scum because he's been in office too long. And uh, and Nelson, his response has been to go on the floor of the Senate and make speeches, which I, you know who who watches that? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so he's not he's not you know buying the ad time. He's not responding like that. Florida's a big sprawling state. We've got, I think, ten major media markets here now, where which means you got to add, you got to have a lot of money for advertising dollars. That's the second thing that that Nelson's up against is 
Rick Scott's got a lot of money. He's he's an incredibly rich guy. He was so wealthy. He was running ads during the last gubernatorial campaign. I think they figured out it was like one every 18 minutes in the closing stretch of the campaign. And that was money he was spending of his own to run this stuff. So, so you know, Nelson's running a, a sort of an old-fashioned campaign. I mean, he's showing up at places to talk about issues, but he's not on the airwaves. He's not on social media. God is. He doesn't have the money right now to compete with Rick Scott. And, uh, you know, and the other thing, too, is, and this is sort of a perpetual problem with, with Florida, and one of the reasons why we're so purple is that we've got, I think the estimate now is 900 people a day moving into the state. Most of them have no earthly idea who Bill Nelson is or what he's done in the past, and who they don't even really know who Rick Scott is or what he's done in the past. So it's all brand new to them, and so you're start, sort of starting with a blank slate every single election, and a lot of those voters – they may ask their neighbors who to vote for. They may pick whoever has the best commercial. They may take what the newspaper says, although I doubt if a lot of them do that, you know, the recommendations in the editorial page. So for a lot of them, those TV ads, those social media things, are, that's what's going to count when it comes right down to it. So right now, that's sort of what Nelson's up against. And uh, you, know, it, you would think he would turn this around and say, well, sure, I've been in office a lot because the voters like what I do, and they like the things I've, I've been able to achieve for Florida. You know, He could talk about his record of uh, trying to hold off offshore drilling from Florida. Uh, you know, He's got a lot of the things he could talk about. He could also be running attack ads on Rick Scott because at one point Scott was the least popular governor in America, but he's not doing that stuff right now. So – is he going to? Is he, will he start at some point, maybe closer to the election? I don't know. Time's running out, though. Yeah, I, I really believe that the Florida U.S. Senate election is the most interesting election as far as the stakes, the the way it could go, um, the fact that it is an exciting state, Florida, with a lot of media markets, a lot of places to campaign mm-hmm. in. I, I find it fascinating, and I would think that some dynamic – Democratic uh, campaign manager, other operatives, media firms would be chomping at the bit to make their name run in Bill Nelson's campaign. I guess he has to listen to whoever he hires, but uh-huh. it seems like that would the he would be able to hire whomever he wanted to run that race because of the excitement of it. You would think, but at this point, there there's been no sign that he has changed tactics from all the other times he's run. And so, uh, you know, I mean, he, you know, he gets up and talks about how I'm into space on the space shuttle and, you know, that kind of stuff. But as far as, you know, running ads and that kind of thing, it's not, it's not happening. Yeah, that, that's kind of, and you had a big chapter about how the space industry helped grow too in O'Florida. But it's so funny, mm-hmm. it seems like, it, would there ever have been a day where going up into space and the space shuttle would have seemed old timey and way back when? And not exactly. futuristic. It almost <laughs> yeah. uh, feels that way now, which is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's a good point. Well, but I yeah. mean, that's sort of the that's sort of a common thing in Florida. One of the, one one of the people I quoted in the book uh, was a guy who grew up in Cape Canaveral. He remembered actually going out to the rocket launches to sell NASA pins for literally to make pin money when he was a kid. And he he said, you know, growing up in Florida is like being that kid in that movie, The Sixth Sense. Because you're constantly seeing things that aren't there anymore that nobody else can see. You remember, you know, what used to be there before everything got changed, everything got developed and then redeveloped and buildings put up and buildings torn down and new buildings put up and parking lots and so forth. So, I mean, that's that's part of Florida too, is things that have been around for a long time 
people may not appreciate where they came from or what they're all about, and I think that's part of the problem that Bill Nelson's dealing with. Oh, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. There's a stretch of highway uh, between Jonesboro and Griffin. It, it, Jonesboro's where uh, Gone with the Wind was set. And and you mm-hmm. drive down there, and I ask my mom or daddy, like, now what used to be there before they tore that down? Or we were talking about, oh, that used to be so-and-so. Uh, mm-hmm. But now it's such-and-such such else. So I, I know exactly right. what you're talking about um, in a place that's growing and changing. Well, Craig, oh, yeah. I, I feel like we didn't even scratch the surface on politics. If you would be so kind maybe in the future to come back, I have a feeling Florida is going to stay an exciting political state. And there may be other things to discuss, too, in the future. All right. It's a date. <laughs> Thanks. All right. Thanks again. Thank Thanks you, so sir. much for being on with us tonight. My pleasure. Yes. That was Craig uh, Pittman. You can read him in the Tampa Tribune. Uh, go Tampa to their Bay website. Uh, of course, it's Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Times. Times. I apologize. Yep. Uh, Tampa Bay That's Times. Okay. I, a lot of paper. <laughs> Is that the St. Petersburg paper name? Was that? Uh, yes. It's yep. um, Tampa Bay Times. My apologies. And right. you can read That's his okay. books. Uh, I guess four of them now. Just great to have you on. Thanks again. Thank you. Yes. Um, well, what an interesting guest. And, you know, Florida is just a state we've got to talk about so much um, for a lot of reasons. Uh, huge population, uh, exciting races. It, it determines elections um, so many times. Well, uh, we were talking about Montana, a state very different than Florida. Um Trump had a rally where he did his, you know, free thought riff that that he does um, <laughs> these things. We're talking about the Maxine Waters, but that was not the only crazy thing he said. Uh, he said many, but one which was really just, uh, just made no sense is he goes to something that's 25 years ago, uh, the Thousand Points of Light, which is an initiative of a president who we really don't feel has many days left, um, his wife just passed away, Barbara Bush, um, does not seem like somebody you would attack irregardless of what party um, the speaker or the former president were in, but he is a fellow Republican, um, making it even the stranger. Um, Catherine, you had mentioned this as one of the things you found the most vexing. Um, tell us what you're thinking when you heard that. Well, my thought when I heard that was that um, <clears throat> he really that that our president really has no um, appreciation or uh, recognition of the importance of volunteerism in our in our society. Um, you know, I think volunteerism crosses the aisle. Uh, most of the people that I know volunteer in some way. For something, whether it's serving on their PTOs or PTAs or um, their church or in po- politics or, um, you know, there's a, a, a million way, a, a thousand, a thousand points of light where people can um, serve as volunteers. It's a it's a um, experience that uh, most people say while they serve and help other people it's more of it serves more it gives them more value than they uh expend so i just was surprised or not surprised i it was just further evidence that um our president is really very disconnected from the average american 
and their uh, their life experience. Yes. Well, I guess there's no profit margin when you volunteer, and, and that seems to be a, right. um, the bottom line with the Trump industry at all times. And, of course, like I said before the show, he's got the McMahons and WWE to volunteer for him, just like the McMahons have funded apparently all his charity work for years too, um, which is kind of crazy when you think about it since they don't have the net worth of him, but they still funded it. Um, Tim, there were so many more things. What are some of the things that stuck out to you that were just bizarre? You know, I, I, you know, the, he, the purpose of the speech was to campaign for Matt Rosendale, who's running against Senator Tester and Trump has a personal beef with Senator Tester because he feels like he sunk one of his cabinet picks, and and, and he did, actually. But I started making – I watched that speech. I decided to hold my nose and do it, and I started making a list of the people he was attacking, right? Okay, here they come. Hillary Clinton, the Department of Justice, our system of government, the news media, Democrats, Maxine Waters, our system of voting, the Me Too movement, which I thought was bizarre, Elizabeth Warren, NATO about every country we trade with, John McCain, George Bush 41, Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden, and oh yes, he attacked John Tester too. Did you get all of that, David? This is in one Any- speech encompassing a few minutes. And don't forget, he called the world leader Angela Merkel by his by her first name, yeah. which is a very and, much kind of disrespect as well. And, and don't forget that he bragged on Vladimir Putin in the most oh, glowing yeah. terms. What is it about this guy that Donald Trump loves? Did you ever see the day? Think you'd see the day that a Republican president would be bragging on the leader of Russia like that? I mean, well, it's but, just—it's dangerous. That—that's dangerous to do that. If 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 he did something really dangerous in that speech, it was to just openly brag on Vladimir Putin. That that's just dangerous. Well, and I'll say in particular this Russian leader because I would say if you said a kind word at times about Mikhail Gorbachev or Boris Yeltsin when they were actually bringing true reform mm. and openness to Soviet mm. Union, then that may have been warranted. Vladimir Putin is going in the di- opposite direction. He's taking Russia Absolutely. on a U-turn uh, back to the days of Stalin. Absolutely. Um, Yes, so that's the difference there. Well, um, I, I don't know think we have time to get too deep into this, but I, I'll frame it in a way that we can um, t- discuss it next week. And I'll ask this, Catherine: Do you think when we, if we discuss this next week, will we be discussing the ongoing st- scandal of the current congressman from Ohio, uh, Jim Jordan, or will we be talking about former congressman Jim Jordan by next Sunday? Oh, I don't think we'll be talking about the former by next week. I think it will take a little longer than that, if it happens at all. Yeah, and and I'll go ahead and let you say more about it. I mean, uh, this is – it's up to seven wrestlers that were on the Ohio State team, and I get the idea that these seven wrestlers are not liberal Democratic activists. 
I mean, they're just talking about what happened with this doctor back in the 80s. That they're saying he knew about it. Respects. It's it's very similar to what happened with Joe Paterno and Jerry Sandusky at Penn State. The way it's sounding, I'm sure there are mm. some differences. But but uh, I mean, how can Jim Jordan um, weather this when a Joe Paterno couldn't? Well, what? This is going to be different. Yeah, this is going to be different. He's going to frame this as a, you know, this timing looks really curious to me. Right after I grilled Rosenstein, and we've got a race coming up, you know, for Speaker, and some of his uh, supporters have even indicated that the uh, fabled uh, deep state might be involved in these attacks on it. So, So they're going to try to discredit the thing uh, by by doing this. And, of course, Trump believes him, too. So there you are, guys. <laughs> well, it's just so – and that is when he said the timing of it. I mean, he could discuss it in a way that wasn't talking about him resigning that did not talk about timing and, and the motives of people bringing things up. I mean, he could say – and I don't know what the truth is, but he could say something to the fact that these, if this went on, it deeply disturbs me, and I wasn't aware of it. Um, but I, I see how these young men, it could have impacted their lives. It's horrible. All this, that, and the other without you know this deflection talking about political motives because I just get the idea that you probably couldn't get seven gentlemen that were on the Ohio State wrestling team that are all you know that politically motivated that they would bring this up and make these things up um, for some political motivation. Catherine, uh, do you say, find that it's the most strange thing about this is the way he handles the charges? Well, that and also I don't think um, saying you didn't know about it, I think that that um, shame on you for not knowing about it. Like how did you – how were you in that position and you didn't know what was going on? So, I mean, I don't think you can win, right? Not that you should, but I don't think there's a, you know, oh, I didn't know about it. Well, that just speaks to your leadership. Or, oh, I knew about well, it, Well, I mean, there I didn't are problems, anything. I agree, but knowing about it and not doing anything about it is worse than not knowing about it. I'm not saying knowing, not knowing about it's not good, but, I mean, if, of the two – Turning oh, a blind oh, eye would be by absolutely. far the worst. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Um, yeah, and Catherine, I just thought for the record that you were going to say you didn't like all eight of them because they were all from Ohio State and being a good Michigan girl, you didn't trust no, any of them. I, they should all be drummed out of whatever. I am keeping my Ohio State comments to myself because this is a horrible – these circumstances are horrible, and I don't wish that on anyone, even though they are at Ohio State. Yes. Well, our president has been denying and deflecting ever since he first entered the race in 2015. The, the, this is what Jordan is doing. I mean, uh, and, and so far the House Freedom Caucus, which he's a founding member, is going right along with him. And that's what he's doing. He's going to deny knowing anything about this, and, and then he's going to deflect 
with this timing story. He's even indicating that maybe uh, some Republicans are behind some of this because of that crack he made about the speaker's race that he was not going to win to start with. Uh, Catherine's right. We're we're not going to be talking about ex-Congressman Jordan next week. Uh, this story this story is going to blow blow up even more, and that's what we're going to be talking about. He's still going to be there too. Yes, I don't know much about the district and its leanings. I guess we can look at that as time goes on, because even if he has a huge advantage. Uh, this can't help him if this helps him um, help the rest of us and please help that district in Ohio. But um, it is a story I think that we will have be discussing, not just next week, future weeks as well, sadly. Um, But once again, thanks to Craig Pittman, and until next week, it's been the Kudzu Vine. Good night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution with a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world. America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice.